Good morning. Good morning. Anyone feel the earthquake? Yes. Wow. I'm sitting at my little desk, writing away, and all of a sudden, just the rumble started to happen. Sometimes they do like road work, and I thought, well, maybe it's some road work, but it just kept going, and the whole house and ground was shaking. Pretty awesome. Kind of makes you feel small. Thank you. Yeah, it made me, it's just a reminder when these things happen, just like COVID, that uh, life, is, life is short, that we're fragile, that we live in these earthly bodies, and there's a thin veil between life in the earthly body now and eternity, standing before God. Um, we never know when that moment will come when we pass from this life to the next. Well, I'm excited to preach the word this morning. Um, we're in a study of the book of Ephesians. It's a New Testament epistle, letter, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And so today we're just going to look at a few more verses. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. And I'm going to start off by just reading these verses. It says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, I think he's referring to the book of Isaiah here. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of God is powerful. Well, I want to say at the outset that there's a lot of uh, bad teaching out there that will essentially contradict what I'm about to teach. Uh, you were told by some Christian teachers that separation from the world is outdated. We don't really need to do that. You know, we should be relevant and cultured. We should fit in. We're told that it's not our job to point out sin in people, in culture. Uh, we're told not to judge anyone. We're taught to just, you know, quote unquote, love people. We should love people, but it's a different kind of love. We're taught that we don't need, uh, we don't have any uh, kind of special power to influence anybody. You know, only God can save, which is true, but, you know, the fact that we're instruments in the hands of God is greatly undermined. And that, you know, we were warned not to get a savior complex or think that we're going to do anything great. Uh, and I think often the aim of some of these teachers is to keep us humble. I mean, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> 
but I think they're well-meaning. But a lot of times these ideas are very unbiblical and very different from what the Lord intends for us. And I hope to show you that through these, these verses this morning. Well, I'm going to break it up into three sections. Uh, the first section is this. We're going to just look at this uh, idea first. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. What does this mean? Well, darkness in Scripture is a metaphor. It's actually a huge theme in Scripture, right? Darkness and light. Uh, But it's a metaphor for willful, moral ignorance. Uh, We understand literal darkness. I mean, it's just a universal thing. We get it, right? To be such that it prevents us from seeing, right? We can't see in the dark. We grope in the dark. Can't see where we're going. Earlier in this letter, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 18. He is talking about those who, who don't know God. And he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And he uses the word works, you know, works of darkness are the fruits of spiritual and moral ignorance. It's what children of darkness who don't know God say and do. Paul gives us a perfect list in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 5. Uh, verses 19 to 21, say this, now the works of the flesh, he calls them flesh there, the works of our sinful nature. He could have easily said the works of the children of darkness are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. He probably could have kept on going with that list. And then the apostle describes the works of darkness as unfruitful, right? He's saying that works of darkness, these kind of things that we say and do out of darkness, out of moral ignorance, Um, Even if they might not appear evil to other people, they are the works of darkness, and they are spiritually unprofitable. That's what he's saying, unfruitful. In other words, they do not amount to anything good in the next life. They do not help anyone spiritually. Uh, These works have no eternal reward. They don't bring people close to God. They don't foster peace with God. They don't bring pleasure to God. They don't result in uh, peace and contentment in one's life, right? We, We understand that. The works of darkness don't produce spiritual fruit. So here's the message. You know, take no part in these unfruitful works of darkness. He's speaking to us as Christians. This isn't a message for the world out there. You know, this is a message for the church. Be separate and distinct. Do not live like the people out there. I think in Ephesians, right, he says, I insist in the Lord that you no longer live. You must no longer live like the Gentiles do, 
like the people of the world do. In fact, the epistle, 1 Peter uh, says, you've spent enough time, some of you, living the way the pagans do. Like that's done, you're done with that. We've spent way too much time doing the things that the world has done or does. So be, be separate, be distinct. How can we, here's a question, how can we expose the sinful things of the world if we are doing those very things, right? I mean, it would be like, like if somebody was, uh, you know, just sort of an evangelist for health and, and, and they're just like smoking cigarettes and, and, but they're telling other people how terrible it is to smoke and that they shouldn't smoke Right? We'd be like, this, this, isn't, this isn't making sense. I think their message wouldn't be taken seriously, right? Or they would be called a hypocrite. We must be different. We must have different motives, different appetites, different convictions about things. Consider Paul's words to the Corinthian church telling us to live very differently than the people around us. I think this is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and it rolls into chapter 7. It says this. It's a little long, but just take it in. Just kind of listen to this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, we'd almost say to Paul, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, no, there's no agreement, there's nothing. And then he says, for we are the temple of the living God. That's a holy thing. We carry the presence of a holy God in us. As God said, I'm going to continue this passage. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of that, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's pretty clear, right? We're to, we're to be different. But I think these verses uh, and many other verses that we could talk about that talk about separation or consecration or uh, being different or being holy and blameless, um, I think kind of lose their impact on us, especially if we've been Christians for a long time. Maybe we grew up in the church. And I think a lot of Christians um, just have a, a way of thinking about separation that they can read these verses and just it doesn't really mean that much to them. 
And I think this is why. This is my theory here. Um, because many of us grew up in with you know around church culture, and we experienced some, maybe some overly strict, uh, kind of weird, unhealthy even uh, forms of separation, right? You know, like maybe you were uh, forbidden by your Christian parents to associate with. Uh, the non-Christian kid, you know, across the street, or there was a big birthday party happening and with all the kids in the neighborhood and you couldn't go because, uh, you know, it was just, that was an unholy thing or whatever. There's so many, I remember Bible school for me was uh, kind of interesting. It was like super culture shock, you know, because I didn't grow up uh, necessarily in the church, a little Catholicism, but, um, you know, it was kind of new to me. So then I'm in Bible school and there's like, like hundreds of rules about everything. I mean, the, 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 the funniest one was the women couldn't wear pants with pockets in the back. We're still trying to figure that out, why that was a rule. But apparently that was unholy, okay? And, you know, there were just other funny things, like, um, you know, like zero secular music was tolerated. Nobody dared go to the movie theater. Um, that just was like, you just didn't do that. Um, dating couples... <laughs> Now, I was married. Hallelujah. <laughs> it was great. The married couples just didn't have the same rules. It was awesome, and people were jealous of us. But if you were a dating couple, man, you couldn't even hold hands. Six-inch rule, leaving room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it, it, it got a little crazy. You know, some of these rules can be a little crazy. And I think when we grow up in Christ and we mature, we start to kind of rethink some of these things. Okay, wait, this isn't really in the Bible. You know, what does the Bible teach about separation and versus, you know, what our church taught or what the Bible school taught or whatever, um, or our parents taught? But listen, so often, the swing in the opposite direction toward freedom goes way too far. I'm thinking especially how we relate to television, social media, alcohol, sex, music, money, reading materials, video gaming, food, and so on. I could keep going with that list. For example, how should a Christian relate to a book? Let's say there's a book, a best-selling book in culture that's super popular, um, and it has sexually explicit material. I mean, should we just read the book and, you know, when we get to that point of the book, just kind of realize, well, this is, you know, this is sin. This is, you know, this is actually gross uh, fornication, a grievous sin before God. And just, but just continue to read it and enjoy the book. I, or would this be an example of something that Paul would tell us? Don't take part in that. See, I think Christians have really struggled to know what it looks like in this particular generation and culture to be in the world but not of the world. You know, what does it mean to be separate? I, I've wrestled with this um, for 31 years, really. And I've had different ideas, different views, you know, throughout the years. I still struggle with it because there's, there's kind of a lot of gray. It can feel gray in, in some elements. It's complicated. 
Uh, Jesus modeled this so well for us in uh, the way he associated often with unholy people, right? The Bible says he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He associated with them. He ate with them and spent time with them, uh, but he never took part of their sins. In fact, he exposed their sins powerfully in his public teachings. So take no part does not mean to disassociate from people who are sinful. I mean, Paul brings this out so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read it. It's so good. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, with sexually immoral people who don't want to repent of their sins, you know, not, but he says he kind of gives this balance to not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. And he's kind of being funny here. He says, since then, you would need to go out of the world completely. So it is right and good to have relationships with people who aren't Christian and who may do sinful things, but we cannot take part in their unfruitful works of darkness. But still, I'm not really answering the question, right, for you. How should we relate to the world then? I mean, even just specifically like the, the works of our generation, art and music and literature and movies and products and businesses and just different places that you know, people go for entertainment. Much of it, I think, we would probably be shocked, the Apostle Paul would not approve of. I think he would call a lot of this stuff, yeah, that's an unfruitful work of darkness, and you should have nothing to do with it. Many of these works are the manifestations of just sinful hearts at enmity with God. That's why John said in his epistle in 1 John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa, what does that mean? Again, we can filter that through. Ah, that doesn't mean what you think it means. You know, we can just love everything, get, be involved in tons of stuff in the culture, and we don't have to worry about all that. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's not so black and white, because even, here's the, the thing, even sinful people at enmity with God are made in God's image, Right? And so some of God's image comes through when they, you know, say things or when they create things. Or that's why we can still be impacted by things that have this kind of strange mix of good and bad. But again, I think it doesn't mean we should just take it all in. But we also shouldn't reject it all, right? I mean, in some cases, I think content born from a sinful heart maybe somebody who is not a Christian at all, maybe they're an atheist. It, it can be redeemable, right? It can be redemptive. Um, we're able to see the image of God coming through. We're moved toward God. Maybe it causes us to think and pray and kind of stir our heart in different ways. Um, absolutely. Uh, certain movies, I think, definitely can do this. Um, they can cause us to think deeply about important themes. I mean, even some movies almost have a prophetic element to it don't they? And just like really zeroing in on a particular sin of our generation and just exposing it. 
So in that way, you know, sometimes a film can be an instrument in the hands of God, even though the creator, the filmmaker, is not a Christian at all. So I, I get the complexities of it. I, I do. And this could be applied to anything, books, podcasts, music, websites, video games, just so many other things, right? So this requires wisdom and the ability to distinguish good from evil. Listen to the words of maybe Paul, Hebrews 5, you need milk. Not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Listen to this. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Ooh, don't you want that? I want to be able to distinguish between what is good and what is not good for my own spirit. Because the reality is this, exposing ourselves to questionable content can affect our minds. It can. I think we're, we're deceiving ourselves if we think that it can't or that we're immune to all of it. It's just not true, especially if we aren't even distinguishing between good and evil. It can, listen, it can activate Aspects of our sinful nature that ought not to be activated. It can shape our thinking in different ways that we don't even realize how it's affecting us. It's fueling our values, undermining our dependence on God. And listen, isn't it true that often when we're kind of consuming content, TV, movies, social media, music, whatever it may be, a lot of times it's just we're letting our guard down at that time? We're not coming into it like prayerful and just, we're like just, it's, come on, we're not, can we just be honest? We're, we're like tired and we're just put something on and just the guard is down. We're not sober. We're not vigilant. We're not talking to God throughout the whole thing that we're looking at or whatever. It's just, we're tuning God out for a little bit. Not that we don't like God. We're just like, just, you know, I'm tired and just and there we are, letting our guard down and just, what are we letting in? Could it be polluting us is the question. Listen, we have to be careful how we live. That's what Ephesians 5 really is all about. Be careful how you live. With social media and the world of television and movies and all the whole universe of images and just stuff out there, the whole entertainment industry, Listen, it becomes very difficult to keep ourselves from being unpolluted by the world. Like we're told to do in James 1. We need wisdom, we need discipline, we need self-control. Now, I can't create a list of 10,000 things that we should not take a part of, right? Um, each, each of us must find our own way, but I want to, this is my encouragement to you today. Rethink. Regularly rethink what you consume and take part of. Sometimes we come to the conclusion that a particular thing that we're exposing ourselves to, you know, maybe something we're reading or doing or watching or whatever, consuming, is fine. We, we just conclude that it's fine. But it's good to always ask ourselves, wait, is this really fine? 
Because I think I know some godly people that would probably say that it's not fine. Am I sure that the godly people and their advice is not godly advice? You see what I'm saying? It's good to rethink anything in our lives that is questionable. I remember when I was a young Christian, someone said, someone put it this way, look, when in doubt, throw it out. (laughs) I confess I've not always followed that advice, but I think it's good advice. I mean, it's like meat in the fridge. Ooh, I didn't realize we had chicken back here. The sell-by date is like, whoa, nine days ago. Yeah, it doesn't smell that bad. I think it smells okay. It smells a little funny. I think he, should we, should we eat it? No. I mean, we don't eat it. We throw it out. I'm not even taking the chance because I've been sick, food poisoning, all that. It's terrible. We don't take the chance that we'll get sick. Why do we do that so often with our spirits, with our heart? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life? We shouldn't take chances. So I'm going to challenge us to just rethink some things that we consume take part of. And I want to give you some, a little bit more on this. You know, I think uh, one of the ways, practical ways, that we can do this is by putting certain things aside for a season. Listen, I'm just going to be honest. This, is, this has been the only thing that has really worked for me to think clearly about things that I, I'm doing. Uh, social media, movies, television, certain kinds of books or magazines or just whatever, alcohol. Um, put it aside, even food. Put these things aside for a week. Put them aside for three months or a year. And you will quickly find yourself thinking very differently about them. You'll you'll see them clearly. And you'll be able to kind of more judge them more unbiasedly. Because if you're feasting on them and enjoying them and totally attached to them, you just, you can't, yeah, you're just going to lean toward, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Because you don't want to let it go. Do you hear what I'm saying? you got to break it completely. Even, even if you're like, well, I think this is totally fine. It's okay. Fast from it. And just see what the Lord tells you. You'll be able to think clearly. I pray too that this would, that we would bring things to the Father. Hear what I'm saying with this. I, I just that we would come to God and, and just have a sensitive conscience and say, Father, is this okay? I mean, I think sometimes our walk kind of lacks this fatherly input from God, even from spiritual fathers. You know, fathers, good fathers, tell their kids what they should do. You know? Different counsels sometimes than friends. Some parents want to be the friends of their kids. You know, no, we're not friends. Like, we're, yeah, we're friends, but we're, we're parents. We're going to tell you the truth. You know, fathers will tell their daughters if oh, that's really inappropriate, what you're wearing. They have no problem saying that. 
because they care for their, their daughters. Fathers will speak to their, their sons and say, no, you, you really shouldn't go to that place. You shouldn't go to that party. That's very unwise to do that. You shouldn't get in the car with that guy. That's a dumb idea. Fathers will speak that, that kind of thing to their kids because they care. I guess my question there is just, you know, do we have this kind of relationship with the Heavenly Father? Can he tell us no? Are we even asking him for counsel on these things? Can he tell us no, or do we insist on our independence like stubborn children? Would we even be open to God's voice, or are we completely set on doing what we've decided is fine? Another way, (laughs) just trying to get creative here, another way to think and evaluate is to ask ourselves, just hypothetically, all right, just use your imagination a little bit. The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived, is going to stay in your home for a few weeks. Just think about that. Would I put this song on the radio with Paul in the living room? Would I put this TV show on? Would I recommend the book that I'm reading to Paul, or would I just know that he, he, he would not approve of that? Would I offer him a 16-ounce beer with an alcohol content of 9%? I think he'd just look at me like, seriously? Would we go down that gossipy, racy, social media rabbit hole as we sit there with our phones on the couch as Paul is sitting next to us, you know, reading uh, E.W. Tozer? (laughs) Why would we not? Right? Because... Paul would be like grieved. He'd be like, dude, what is going on with you? This isn't right. He'd, you know, we, we would feel his grief. Here's the question Why would we be so careful to not grieve Paul as our guest, but we have no problem grieving the Holy Spirit? who dwells with us always. Well, let's get on to this second section, because I have more to say here. The second part of this uh, passage in Ephesians says this, instead expose them. So have no part on fruitful works of darkness. There's so much more we could say about that, and there'll be other sermons, I'm sure, in the future on that topic. Have no part with sin. Uh, but instead, listen, expose them. For it's a shameful thing even to speak of the things they do in secret. To say it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret, I think just, it kind of means that it's so unfitting for us as Christians to be, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even talk about those things. Never mind do them, I think is kind of the point there. We need to be outside of them so that we can expose them. 
in order for sinners, and when I say sinners, it's just this is how Scripture describes people who don't know the Lord, okay? Sinners, unregenerate, not born again, not walking with God, alienated from God, separated from the life of God, dead in sin. Ephesians actually has a lot to say about the condition of people before they're, they're Christian. And it calls, the Bible just says stuff. It's not very politically correct. You know, it's just, you're a sinner. You know, it's, oh, you can't say that nowadays. You know, but this is, I'm just, I'm a preacher, okay? So give me some, give me some room. In order for sinners to be awakened, they must first be convicted. Do you understand that? Made to feel their guilt and need of a savior by the law of God. We see this in the book of Timothy. Just tells us exactly what the law is for. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. This is what the law is for, God's commands, the standard of holiness in the Bible. It is to be proclaimed to the world to convict the world of their sinful deeds. Think about how Jesus used the moral laws of God in his sermons to the masses. The Sermon on the Mount in particular did not make people feel, oh, I just feel so uplifted. I feel warm and fuzzy after hearing the sermon. No, they walked away like devastated. Like we are not even coming close to living up to the standard of God was the effect of the Sermon on the Mount. It exposed the hollowness of religious devotion. Or I think about John the Baptist preaching repentance, exposing hypocrisy. John exposed Herod's adultery which didn't really go well. <laughs> Peter's sermons in the book of Acts. I mean, think about it. They were not like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, they, were, they produced so much conviction that he even took the very crucifixion of the Son of God and laid that guilt upon his hearers. That heavy guilt. The book of Romans itself sends a message to all people everywhere that they have sinned and are guilty before God. The great preachers through the centuries always preach the law in preparation for grace. They work together. The law convicts the sinner of their sin. It's a tutor that leads them to Christ, drives them to the mercies of God. As long as a man thinks he's not a sinner or that he, his particular sins aren't so bad, he will feel no need for repentance at all. Now, I'm not saying that we should go and, you know, just be that person that annoys everybody and points out every little thing that everybody does wrong, you know, kind of like with, uh, I don't know, just badgering people. It's not, we're not, that's not really our calling. Jesus didn't do that, you know, when he was with sinners and tax collectors, but there are times, right? There are opportunities when, we're able to display the holiness of God. And listen, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. I feel like sometimes we get in these situations where, 
you know, we're with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus and we're in some kind of environment, a very progressive thinking crowd or whatever, and very cool, very intellectual or whatever. And we're just like, oh man, I hope they don't ask me about that. I hope this subject doesn't come up because it's like almost embarrassing to be like, well, actually, I believe, you know, in the Bible that we shouldn't, you know, have sex at all before you know, marriage, you know, like whatever. It just almost, we get mocked. You know, it almost looks ridiculous and we can get a little shy. Listen, let's, let's be bold in proclaiming the standards of God. If somebody asks us, then let's tell them. And not be, well, you know, it's like, I know it's a little weird. You know, like, no, don't do that. It's not weird. Let's not be ashamed of the way the Lord has given us his design. Well, I was thinking just as a way to explain it, I was thinking a little bit about my own um, conversion and how when I was 19, there was a lady who began to share the gospel with me, older lady, and she was super nice and I think well-intended, but she just shared good things. Oh, God is, God loves you. God, God is good. God cares for you. Um, you know, there's a loving God in heaven. And listen, it did nothing for me. All it did was make me feel like, all right, I, God is good. Okay, there's a God. All right, it's cool. You know, maybe I'll go smoke a bag of weed and think about that. I mean, it just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Like, it didn't challenge me. She never talked about sin. She never talked about the sinfulness of sin. She never called me to repentance. She never challenged me or confronted my lifestyle at all. So I just continued to sin for another couple of years until another individual and his friend came into my life and just called me out on things and spoke very clearly to me and said, the way you are living is you're at enmity with God. You're not pleasing to God. You're in the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of Satan. Even your drug use is opening you up to demonic spirits and powers. Listen, it infuriated me. It shook me. It frustrated me. It scared me. It, a whole range of emotions kind of bursted forth in me over the course of like a month or so. But ultimately, listen, it created a spiritual crisis in me that drove me to God. Because if this was true, I, I needed to know if it's true or not. I, if this is really true, that I'm not going to heaven, that if I die, like today, I'm lost for eternity. Oh my goodness, like I got to figure this out. If this is really true, and so I started to read the word, and the word confirmed what they were saying to me, and I started to fear the Lord. And of course, that led to me just eventually just crying out for the mercies of God, and I was saved. So listen, the, this uncomfortable role that we have to play of exposing sin it's important. You know, we can fall into this. I just think, listen, we can fall into this thinking that we just should just be nice to people and don't tell people the truth. You know, I think we feel like being a good Christian is just getting, we get along with everyone. 
Uh, we're ne we never offend anyone. Uh, you know, we just never expose anybody's sin. We're told not to, you know, judge anybody because, you know, they will push sinners away and they won't want to be Christians. Again, it's, this is not, where are we getting this definition of Christianity? It's not from God. It's actually from the world. The world tells us how they want us to be Christian, which is they want us to basically be just like them, pretty much. And they want us to like never confront them about anything. And so they've kind of said, here's a vision for your Christian life. And we're like, oh, okay, well, if that's really how you want us to do it, we'll do it that way. Do you hear what I'm saying? No. We need to uh, do what God is telling us to do. All right, I got to rush. I got to do this last section in like five minutes. All right, so here's the last part. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. There, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, I'm not even going to read the verses, but uh, you'll find in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 60, this is exactly where uh, Paul is getting this, this idea, awake, O, o sleeper. And he also kind of says a very similar thing to the Christians uh, through the epistle to the Romans, um, you know, where he says, uh, wake up, it's time for you to wake up from your sleep. Um, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. This is Romans 13. Uh, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. So it's very similar to the verses in Isaiah and very similar to these verses in Romans 13. I think Paul is exhorting in this last, these last few verses, exhorting sleepy Christians to wake up and be reflections of the glory of God to a world in darkness. When we expose sin, listen, and display God's glory, mark it down, reactions will be negative and positive. On the negative, reactions can even get violent, right? I mean, people can be verbally assaulting us, but even violent, I mean, John the Baptist got his head cut off. Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. Prophets were killed. So many Christians through the ages have been murdered. We know that. But others are affected in a positive way. Our life and words expose the secrets of their hearts, and they are convicted, bothered, just like I was by my two friends that were telling me, calling me out on things, and sharing the gospel, the full gospel with me. I was convicted, cut to the heart, but then people will cry for mercy and be saved to receive new life. So what causes one man to harden and become angry causes another man to break in humility and tears of repentance. To some, the exposing of their sin doesn't go well. It's like, it's like the stench of death. I mean, if you ever, I just remember like certain, coming across certain things. I think I've shared the story of the, the dead squirrel that was in our pool liner that had no more hair on it, was just white, slimy, 
It was so gross. It smelled so bad when we pulled up. What do you want to do when you get around something like that? Run. Get away. No, I don't want that. Gross. And that is exactly the reaction of some people to the gospel, to the light. But others, it's the fragrance of Christ. There's something, let the word of God search them, expose them, and it draws them toward God for salvation. But it's good for us to expect these varying reactions so we're not surprised if the world hates us, despises us, rejects us. My last thought is this. Listen, we're going to wrap all this up, but I want to give you a kind of pastoral thought here. You know, this, this is a tough word, right? Because it's calling us to do two very difficult things. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness and maybe even harder, expose these things in our generation. Um, it's hard. Jesus said it was going to be hard. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself. So we, we know that Jesus called us to this difficult life of discipleship. We will be persecuted. We will be falsely accused for identification with Jesus. We will annoy people just because of what we believe and how we live. But we're following in the footsteps of those who have gone before us, who in Hebrews 11 says they suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Listen to this verse. Of whom the world was not worthy. Paul said a similar thing in Galatians 6. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here's what I want to say to all this. There is a cost to taking no part in the unfruitful works of darkness and exposing the sins of our generation. But all of this cost, pile it up in a big pile, all this cost is as nothing compared to what it can do in a person's life. Even if one person, even if a hundred people persecute us, but one person is raised out of that darkness and brought into Christ and is reconciled to God and lives in the fullness of God for eternity, it doesn't compare. The cost, the afflictions that we might suffer are really nothing in comparison with just partnering with God to reconcile people. So live in light of eternity. Keep your eye on that big picture. Sometimes we get way too caught up in the here and now. You know, I just feel like people aren't appreciating me in the workplace. I just feel like, you know, because I'm a Christian, you know, I feel like people don't really like me. I feel like they're just kind of getting on me. I feel like, let's, let's see, who cares? Yeah, that's probably happening. 
because Jesus said it was going to happen. And you make people feel uncomfortable just because you're living differently. You're holy. Even if you're not being judgmental toward everybody, but you, we can be kind and gentle and respectful and gracious. But just by how we live and by the things that we believe and the times that we do call people out on things, listen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make people feel uncomfortable. Just let it happen. Let it happen. Don't buy into this other form of Christianity that never tells anybody the truth and just love people into the kingdom. Like, it doesn't work. I've tried it. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not effective. It's actually, just like, it's almost like we're telling God, like, yeah, Lord, I know how you tell us we're supposed to do it in the Bible, but I think we've learned better, okay? Jesus, step out of the way and let us show you how to do it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do it just by being nice and kind to everyone. We're not smarter than God or the apostles. Let's pay the price and uh, let God use us in our time on this earth. Amen. Thanks for listening a little longer. Come on up, Chris, and I don't know if Sam's coming soon. We're going to do... A little bit more worship. Worship was awesome. The first set, I hope the second set here is, uh, oh, it's not as good. <laughs> uh, the worship was so good at the, in that first block. But let's stand together and let's just call out to the Lord. Let's, let's worship him. Let's ask him to, to do this work in our lives. Let's ask him to make us pure and holy and to make us like him and to give us boldness. Right? Acts chapter 4, what did they do? They came together and they said, oh, God. Stretch forth your hand. Give us boldness. Grant us boldness that we can just speak your word to this generation. Uh, that's not a natural thing. We don't want to do that in our natural self. So we need God's Holy Spirit to purify us and to make us bold. Amen.